Psalm 42, I want to leave with you the verse 7 tonight. The verse 7. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. It is especially those opening words that I want to think about. Deep calleth unto deep. Now this is a strange and unusual expression. The word deep that occurs in the verse twice is a fairly common word in the Old Testament scriptures. It occurs several dozen of times and about a third of those are in the Psalms. So the Bible is always talking about the deep things and especially the Psalms where the word is so common. The Psalms deal with the deep, the deep things. It's also a word that occurs very early in the Bible. You you meet it in the opening chapter in the book of Genesis, verse 2 of chapter 1. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So you can see there that the deep relates very often to the waters, to vast bodies of waters, the deep waters, the oceans. And that seems to be the context of the opening part of Genesis. There were all the waters, there was the deep, and then the Spirit of God, he moved upon the surface of the waters, and life was formed and created, and much came out of the waters. This is the only verse in the Bible, in our text here, where the word deep occurs twice. Deep unto deep is calling, as it literally is. Or as our Scottish Psalter, that we sometimes sing, puts it, deep unto deep doth call. So deep's calling unto deep. The deep is communicating with the deep, speaking to the deep. Somehow the two deeps are related. They are connected. Somehow there's a union between these deeps, some kind of a a connection. We have to try to see what the psalmist is referring to whenever he makes this connection in the context of the verse and in the context of the whole psalm. Now, as I said, most often, if not always, the deep has reference to waters. Usually deep water or water somehow is in view in relation to this word. It is usually the Red Sea. You'll remember Pharaoh's army was destroyed in the Red Sea, and that sea is often referred to as the deep The depths covered them, Exodus says. They sank into the bottom like a stone. The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee. They were afraid. The depths were troubled. The deep waters. He rebuked the Red Sea, the psalm says, and it was dried up. And he led them through the depths. So you can see there the word deep and depths. 
refers to the Red Sea. The deep you see is what you cannot see into. You can't see the bottom of the deep. The bottom is concealed. It is as waters going over your head. You get into the waters, they may go over your head, but you cannot touch the bottom. Your feet cannot touch the bottom. You cannot go down to the depths to see, even when it overwhelms you. And so the deep is something hidden, something mysterious. Thou hast cast me into the deep, into the midst of the seas, Jonah said. Remember, he went down into the sea, into the depths, and the whales swallowed him up, and all the billows and the waves passed over him. Something like this verse here talks about the waves and the billows. So Jonah knew about the deep. And you remember how Paul said, a night and a day I have been in the deep. Whenever he was talking about all his troubles, he's saying he was in the ocean on occasions. A whole night and a day once. And for all their being in the depth, none of them ever saw the bottom. And that's why it's called the deep. The deep. A shallow stream isn't called the deep. A shallow river isn't called the deep. But where you can't touch the depth and you can't see the depth. I know now we have submarines and quite a bit can go down into the ocean and see the the ocean floor. But in Bible days, of course, that was impossible. That's what is meant by the deep. Where you can't see. Where you have no control. While we can't see the deep and we have no control in the deep, God does. And the Bible teaches that. The Bible says, his footsteps are in the deep. His feet reach down to the deep. He he walks through the deep. He marches over the deep. He is in the deep. He's over the deep. He knows the deep. And he controls the deep. There's nothing beyond the Lord. The Lord is over all the depths. Sovereign over all the deep places. Water is in view in our text. You can see that in the parallelism of the verse. Deep calleth unto deep. And then the the parallel with that. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. So there is definitely roaring deep waters here that are going over the head. Waves going over the psalmist's body and soul. So in some sense, and if you read the context of the psalm, he's cast down, he's troubled. He talks about disquietness in his heart. So he's really going through deep waters, through the trouble, all the waters going over his head. He's in the depths, and he is in trouble. And he's cast down, he's battling depression and despair, rushing waves coming over him, these billows one after the other. So he has in view then these floods. Now it might be that the sea is in view, the coast is in view. It all depends what we think of these water spouts. And there are some 
unusual idea about what these water spouts are. There are some people say that there are water spouts that form out of the ocean, vertical columns that collect water and they, and they move about and they can come and deluge the water. Now, I don't know about all of that, but it seems to me that what is in mind is not a vertical column of water, but a horizontal column of water like would pass through a narrow ravine big floods of water passing through a narrow valley fast and deep and overflowing like a water spout shooting through the narrow passage coming in torrents and in billows I think that's the image that is in mind and that would happen very often in Israel because they would have the dry season up in the mountains there would be the snow and the rain would be up there and the snow and the snow would melt and what would ha- happen very often was the mountains, the waters would come down suddenly as they get into narrow passages. They would come down suddenly. And you could be in a, a dry ravine. You could be there camping. Many people have camped in the dry ravine, thought it was safe. The floods came down out of the mountains and just washed them away in a few seconds. That, that can happen, and it does happen. Even yet it happens. And I think that that might be what is in, in mind here. Uh, there's a, a water spout of water and it's coming down like a, a fast moving column wave after wave and rushing over him sweeping him away creating all the disquietness in his heart and of course such a flood would be noisy if you ever walk along a stream and maybe into the mountains and you come to a waterfall or you come to water passing through a narrow gorge, you hear it before you see it. The noise of thy water spouts. The noise of these narrow column of water passing through. So it's very noisy. There are different views on it, but I, I take it as, as that might be the scene are the image that, that the psalmist has in mind, the water coming in torrents over his head. And the flood, of course, is God's flood. Thy water spouts, thy waves, thy billows. God sends a rain. God causes a rain to descend. God sends his word and the snow melts and the waters flow. And it's his torrent and his billow and his wave. The Lord is sovereign. Even over the waves that pass over us, even over the torrents that come into our life, that trouble us, that seem to be so overwhelming, they're God's billows. He's in sovereign control. And we have to remember that, brethren and sisters, whenever we feel like we're in the psalmist position. You know, the psalmist is going through a hard time here, but he still recognizes the sovereignty of God. Thy water spout, thy billows, thy waves. So the Lord is sovereign in the troubles, even as he's sovereign over all the deep places. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in the earth, in the seas, and in all deep places. So the Lord's in control of these depths, that are flowing over the the psalmist's head. Now, as to these floods that come down from the mountains, overflowing the psalmist's head, 
they come in waves. You know, there's one torrent, then there's another torrent after it. That's the way they come. They don't come in an even flow. It's wave after wave. A deep, and then another deep follows. Deep calling on to deep. They're connected and flowing down the column together after each other. And each wave is noisy. You hear the one wave coming. It has a noise. And then it passes on. And then you hear another one behind. It's coming too. It's making a noise as well. So there's a noise leaving in the one depth. And there's a noise coming in the other depth. And it sounds like they're echoing. Deep is calling on to deep. As it all passes over us. And the psalmist is saying, I have one deep trouble after another. I hear one. I think it's going. I hear another one coming. It's like they're communicating with each other. It's like they're connected. It's like they have a union of some kind. One calling on to the other. And I'm the one who has to suffer it as they pass over my head. And so that, that is what I feel that is in mind here. Life is so difficult at times for us, brethren and sisters. There are the quiet times when we're in the ravine and it seems all rosy. But then out of the blue, a, a trouble can come. But you know what you find some, sometimes? It's not one trouble. It's one after the other. That's the way very often it is. One after the other. For example, someone may die. This is just a a wild example, but it it shows how troubles are connected and related sometimes. Someone dies, and that's a deep wave in itself. But then after that, there can be other kinds of commotions. There can be the loneliness. There can be financial difficulties because of that person that died. That's another trouble that just sweeps through. They're not separate. They're connected. It all began with the person dying. The troubles that follow after are connected. It could be arguments about the will of the person who has died. And that brings a whole pile of troubles as well. The person dying was the first trouble. But there's so much in connection with that. It just comes after, one after the other. And one's calling on to another. And they're all related. And life's like that. We can have one trouble, but... So much follows on its path. Leads to so many other things. You know, you can have trouble in a church. It only seems like one trouble, but you know, it multiplies. And the next thing you know, half the church is away. Life's like that. It's not one trouble. It's they multiply. It's deep onto deep. It's wave after wave. And so they're all related. And that's what the psalmist knows here. He says that these are not independent waves that are coming over me. Waves and billows, he says. They all are a string connected together. And one is echoing to the other. There's this communion, you see. This this union, this connection. It's a bit like Job, isn't it? You remember how there came a messenger to Job, told him the oxen were plowing, and the asses were feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away and slew the servants. And then you remember how that another one came, the fire of God fell, burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. 
And then another one came, the Chaldeans came, they invaded, they caused great damage, carried away all, all, all the, the animals and the beasts or whatever. And then you remember how that last great wave, how the wind came and blew the house down and the whole family were wiped out. Wave after wave. Job knew about this. Deep. Calleth unto deep. So these troubles were, were all connected because, you see, Satan had his hand in them. Satan is the one who brings a union to them in the case of Job. And I think that is what is meant then by deep calling unto deep. At least that seems to me to be the context of the expression in this verse and in this psalm. Like Jeremiah said, destruction upon destruction is cried. One destruction, another destruction, another destruction, for the whole land is spoiled. Now what I want to do is to take the expression by itself. Yes, it relates to troubles, and we will have troubles, and they'll come in columns one after the other, but God is sovereign over them. And we can cry unto him in the midst of our troubles, as the psalmist does here. This expression, deep calleth unto deep, I want to take it slightly out of its context and apply it in in, in other ways. There is a principle, you see, in that profound expression. One deep calling unto another deep. There's a marvelous image there. And I I think it may profit us to view it and to think about it. You see, there are other things in life that are deep as well as oceans. Deep as well as waters. It doesn't say deep waters. It doesn't say the ocean here. It just says that deep calleth unto deep. And there's a kind of a principle here. One deep thing calling onto another deep thing. And those two deep things somehow connected, somehow interrelated because of communion, because of calling, because of the noise as it is in the context. But there can be other grounds of communion and union and relation between one deep thing and another deep thing. And it's that that I, I want to think about. And so to do that, we have to think about what, what are the deep things in life? Yeah, we know the oceans are deep. What else? Yeah, the seas stand prominent to people in the Bible, to people in the Bible who didn't go much beyond their world and beyond maybe the Mediterranean coast if you lived in Israel. The deep was the Mediterranean, the sea. But with our modern knowledge, we know that there are other deep things. For example, we know that space is deep. We have sent space vehicles out into space. We, we speak of deep space now. We have some comprehension of the kind of measurements that are involved in space. Space is even deeper than the sea. It's, it's way beyond us. Way beyond our solar system, we get into what's called deep space. And it's vast before you come to any galaxies. And even beyond those galaxies, it seems that there's more deep space. So, so space is deep. Deep to us. But yet God is 
omnipresent. He's in it and over it and through it, beyond it and sovereign over it. But then, beyond the created world, God is deep. God is deep. The Bible talks about the deep things of God. God in his essence and God in his ways. God in his glory is deep. The Bible doesn't often use that imagery of God as being deep. Sometimes it does. But it normally says God is high. Because it doesn't put God in terms of low. When you think of deep, you usually think of low, the depths below. And the Bible has preeminently given us the picture of God as as high, as above, as as over. So it doesn't normally say God is is deep because of the imagery of of lowness and lowliness. So low is not normally associated with God except by the entrance of sin. Because whenever sin came into the world, in order to redeem us, what did God have to do? He had to go low, didn't he? He had to humble himself. He had to go down into the depths, into the deep where we, where we are, where he had to come to find us and to save us. But it's not only used of the humiliation of Christ and the work of God and redemption. It's also used to describe his unsearchable ways. The Bible says that thy judgments are a great deep. It's not often that that word great is used with the deep. But when it comes to talk about God's judgments, not only are they deep, they are a great deep. His judgments are, are so deep, like himself. His ways, his acts, his works, they're past finding out. They're unsearchable. There's no way you could ever make a submarine to go down to the depths to fathom the judgments of God. They're a great deep. And God's majesty is is like this. Deep calling on to deep. One immeasurable judgment. One judgment that is inscrutable. Calling on to another judgment that is inscrutable. All God's ways, every one of them deep. And yet they're all connected, all interrelated. One calling on to another. The union of all his works. And yet every individual work itself, a deep work. And so we can apply it to the works of God and the the ways of God. They're all interconnected. The deep, deep ways of God. The depths of his work. We, We talk about the depths of his knowledge how it's incomprehensible. And so this also extends to his eternal decrees. If we think of his judgments as his eternal decrees, what he has purposed, his judgments of his mind, which he has purposed for the whole world. All his decrees are deep. The incomprehensible decrees, who can know them? We see history, we see somehow the outworking of all those decrees And yet we can't fathom them. We can't uh, discover the unity of them all. All the great parts of the machine. We know one's calling on to another. And and that part of time where we live. But we just can't see all of them. And yet we do know that it is one 
harmonious great deep the judgments of God a great united ocean and all the billows on the surface that seem so not connected and yet they are because one's calling on to another in a great union even God's revelation is deep he has given us something of his mind in the Bible Oh, we could not comprehend what's in his mind, but even what he has given us, we can't comprehend it. The Bible's deep. The revelation of his mind is is deep. We have a deep Bible that we can go into and explore, and we, we can't get to the bottom even of the Scriptures. And so we can write, Thy judgments are a great deep, just even over the Bible itself. And it's that which Paul means when he says the deep things of God. God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Because it's the Spirit alone who searcheth all things. Yea, the Spirit alone, he knoweth the deep things of God. And he's given them unto us in Scripture. The deep Bible that we have. And God's Word then is like that. There's one deep after another. There's one doctrine and there's another doctrine and there's this doctrine and each of those doctrines are are great depth. And yet they're all connected, all interrelated, one calling on to another so that we can form a, a systematic theology. But no one's ever formed a systematic theology in its perfection. Men have wrote systematic theologies. Sometimes it goes into many volumes, but none, no one has really got down to do it all because it's incomprehensible. All the doctrines they know are interconnected and interrelated and there's a system in it all and we try to get a system the best we can because God wants us to do that. But we have to be humble and realize that we have the scriptures and a no systematic theology is perfect. Who can take it all in? Who can write a systematic theology that is perfect and complete and whole and entire? No one's ever done it yet. Only the Spirit knoweth the deep things. There's something else that is deep. If we move now to the creature, the human heart is deep. And here's deep. Very deep. A man is a deep thing. And not just in his physical nature. I'm speaking of the soul and the spirit. So deep we don't even know what a soul and a spirit is. And so deep that we don't even know our own hearts. We don't even know our own minds sometimes. We, we, we don't know our own motives. Because our heart is a deep thing. We even try to be conscious of our hearts and to search our hearts. But we realize that The Bible is so true when it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who really can explore it? Who really can put their feet right down in the bottom of it and see it for what it really is? None of us. We can't even do that with our own heart. Our heart's so deep. And it's dark too. So none of us have penetrated to see our deep, sinfulness and depravity by nature. The Lord said, For from within, out of the heart, proceed all these things. 
And you remember he had a whole list of things that come out of the heart. And you know, there are people who can't see those things and they don't seem to be coming out. But you know, if people go into certain circumstances and are put in certain situations, it can surprise them what comes out. It's all in there. Deep. That's why the devil never ceases to tempt us. Because he knows, not in all the detail, the depths of the heart, but he knows that in there, there is sin and depravity. And he does his utmost to bring it out. And we're kept by the grace of God alone. Not only is there deep sin in our heart, but there is deep need in our heart. The heart's so vast. It has such a need. We have deep poverty, deep pain at times, deep hurt, deep cries of our heart. There's so much in the depths of our heart. Deep restlessness. Sometimes we don't even know why we're restless, why we're disquiet. I mean, the psalmist is like that. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? What's the problem in the depth of your heart? So even by his own confession, his, his heart is deep. And there are all these calls coming out of the deep, deep onto deep, crying out of his heart. As Augustine said, the heart of man is restless until it rests in God. You see, the only thing that is big enough and deep enough to fill the human heart and to reach the depths of the human heart is God. He is the only one who has that depth to fill the human heart. And we are not at rest until God rests in us. So there are deep spiritual needs. I was thinking of the woman of Samaria. You remember how it is interesting that she met the Lord at at the well. And what did she say about the well? The well is deep. It's deep. And you haven't even got anything to draw out of it. You can't. You've nothing to reach away down in there. You can't even see the water down there. And you've nothing to reach away down in there, to drop away down in there, to, to pick it up. So there is at one side of the, the deep well, Jesus. And the other side of the deep well, this woman of Samaria. It's not just the well that's deep that day. I think of that woman's heart. Her, her heart is deep. It's like that deep well, only there's no water in her heart. It's empty. It's deep. And it's full of sadness and full of brokenness and full of despair. An empty life, a sad life. Vanity. Deep vanity. A deep hollowness, for in the depths of her heart, no water, until Christ came. And what does he talk about? On the other side of this well, he talks about giving her the water, about filling her depth, about giving her that life that will fill her up to overflowing. She's a great deep, and she's empty. 
But Jesus is a great deep. And he's full. He's full. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. If you knew who you were talking to, you would ask of him, and he would give you living waters. And you would believe in him, and they would come up out of you as waters unto everlasting life. They would flow out of your belly. You'd be filled to overflowing if you drunk of me. You see, Jesus is full. He's a deep that's full. The great depth of Christ's grace. The Gospel of John tells us that, doesn't it? Full of grace and truth. He's full. This is an idea that John has. That's why he brought in the story of the well. The full one meeting the empty one. The one who has his depths saturated with grace. And he pours out that grace. And he is none the less of that grace for doing so. Because it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's a great deep. And that's the Christ who comes to us sinners. And that's what the human heart needs. That's what we need. We need this great depth of grace in Christ for our emptiness and our shallowness and our vanity. And at that great well of Samaria, it's all seen. Christ meeting the woman's need. Do you hear the voices that day? One deep calling on to another deep. Out of the depths of her heart, the cry, the emptiness the shallowness and our hearts crying. And Jesus, he hears that need. He hears that cry. He hears that poverty. That's why he had to go that day to Samaria. He couldn't pass by that restlessness. He couldn't pass by that crying emptiness. He couldn't pass by the the cry that came out of the depth of that creature. And so he passed by that day, having heard the deep of her emptiness, and he cried out, one deep to another deep. He said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And so he has grace, he has cleansing virtue, he has light to go into the dark caverns of the human heart. He has the Cleansing blood that goes into all the cavities of the depths of the human soul. Cleansing and washing. And he calls out to that deep need. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Deep calling unto deep. You see the Gospels in this verse. I mean the Gospels in every verse in the Bible, if you really look for it. It's always there. And it's here. The deep grace of Jesus Christ calling on to the deep emptiness of the sinner's poverty and the sinner's need. Open thy mouth wide, the grace of Jesus Christ says to the sinner. Open thy mouth wide 
and I will fill it. I'll fill it with my grace. I'll fill it with my righteousness. I'll fill it with my cleansing virtue. I'll fill it with my spirit. Open thy mouth wide, you empty one. If you just open your mouth wide. Deep calling on to deep. That's what the Lord wants. He wants the deep human heart to call on to the depth of his rich grace. If only the sinner would do that. So men and women, what is the lesson for us here who, who are Christians tonight, of course? And the, the answer is that sometimes we find ourselves in this situation of the psalmist where, where we have needs in our heart. We have so much troubles in our heart. Maybe so many sins in our heart. We have sorrows in our heart, perhaps. And we have desires and longings in our heart and so many heart cries because we're poor and needy. We cry out out of the deep of our heart. And we can cry out. And the thing is, the Lord hears to the depths of our need In all the depths of the Lord, he comes flowing into us to help us. So there's a union, you see, isn't there? That's the main thing, deep calling on to deep. And there's a union so that they're connected and interrelated. And the most important thing for the deep human heart is to be related to Jesus Christ. So that all the needs of our heart are channeled in from him, from his grace. As we pray, he responds to us because he's so good, so gracious.